0: Good morning, if you're joining us online, we're so glad that, you, uh, that you're here and uh, we, we're just excited to be able to open up God's word together. Speaking of that, why don't you go ahead and grab your, your Bibles or maybe the app that you're gonna use to read scripture this morning and open up to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is where we're gonna be this morning. As Laura said earlier, we're, we're gonna continue this series called Life on Purpose. We've been tracking the life of Paul in the beginning of Acts chapter nine and his, his life and the journey as he, his life is transformed by the gospel and, and through now to chapter 16 and this ministry, his relationships, mission, all those kind of things that, that he's experienced. And this morning, the question that we're gonna ask is, why, what is my purpose? We're gonna ask the question, what is my purpose? In a series called Life on Purpose, really kind of maybe this is the, the moment where we say, what is my purpose, and Acts chapter 16, I believe, is going to help us kind of flesh that out. I want to invite you, whether you're in the room this morning, and again, we're so glad that you're here, or you've tuned in online, to lean in and really, really focus on uh, what God's doing and, and opening up your, your eyes to, or asking him to open up your eyes to what, what's happening and uh, where what we're learning and how, how you would respond to that. I mean, I I realize that I don't know what 30 minutes ago looked like for you. I don't know what last week looked like for you and the craziness of of this season in life. I certainly don't know what what next week looks like for you, but I believe without a shadow of a doubt that this morning, God has a word for us. We talk about our purpose this morning. That in this moment, regardless of what happened, what is gonna happen in the next couple days, that God has a word for us, something to encourage us this morning as we look at his word and ask, what is our purpose? You know, uh, I I believe to some extent all of us are working through this. That all of us are searching for our purpose or a purpose. That no matter who you are, where you are, I think we're all kind of in this, in the throes of this. Some research scientists and smart people, right, they, experts, they contend that most of us won't really kind of understand our purpose Until we get to our 60s, mid, early to mid 60s, which is terrifying, because that means I've got like 40 years left. The gray is early onset. Thank you for the laughter in the front, the awake people. I should, should stop calling you out for not being awake. But it's the reality that, you know, if that's the case, I mean, we've got, I mean, another 20 years of just trying to figure out what life looks like. And, and maybe it is 60 that you land on it. Maybe some of our friends that are, that are uh, mature in age could tell me that that's more true. But I know that if, even if it is 60, that that's not where that search starts. It doesn't start in our 20s. It starts long before that. And I don't have any medical journals, but I do believe I have concrete evidence to suggest that elementary school would be that spot. And let me show you this concrete evidence. This is artifacts from long ago. Not mine, personally, but we uncovered this. Do you remember this game, M.A.S.H.? It's evidence for all of us that we are searching for a purpose. What, ma- what house am I gonna live in? A mansion, an apartment, a shack, a house? Who am I gonna marry? This is not mine, make sure you heard that. not mine. Some girls, found it on the internet. Her job, a spider trainer, that's where we landed. She's gonna have 128 kids, she's gonna live on Mars. Be a, giant, be a and drive a giant turtle, yeah. You know, as we move on, right? I mean, these are early days. These are elementary school playgrounds. But as we move on, we, they get a little more sophisticated, and some would say that the pinnacle of purpose-finding tools today is, is what we call the Enneagram, anybody? It's the pinnacle, right? You can know who you are in one, uh, one through eight. If you don't know that I'm joking, I'm certainly joking. And the nines in the room are nervous that I'm about to cause a fight. and The ones are just worried that I didn't use correct grammar earlier. I, it's, it's a whole mess. But, but we're all searching for purpose. And the reality that these exist and Enneagrams and all of those other strength finders are a reality that we want to know who we are, what we're here for. And I believe as we turn, turn to this passage, there's a, there's a reality for us that, that we can kind of grasp. And I want to put this put us in front of us because I believe this sentence kind of grabs, it's kind of a thesis statement that we're gonna kind of work through this morning. That that our purpose, if you wanna, the answer to this question of what is my purpose, this is the answer. Foundationally, I believe that this could kind of, this could move for all of us no matter where we are in this room. our, Our purpose is to know God, to glorify God, to make Him known. If you're asking the question at the general sense, this is the answer, to know God, to glorify God, and to make him known. And I believe we'll see as this pa- we work through this passage that this morning that our purpose doesn't change regardless of the season or the episode of our lives. And as we work through this passage, you're going to see Paul is in lots of different seasons or episodes, movements in his life, and the purpose of his life doesn't change. And it doesn't change for you and I. If you have your Bibles and begin Acts chapter 16, verses one through five, we'll start there, and it says, Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers in Lystra and, and Iconium spoke well of him, meaning Timothy, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, and so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they knew that his father was, was Greek as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so the churches were strengthened in their faith. And they grew in number daily. So where we, where we open up chapter 16, Paul is on the very beginnings of his second missionary journey. If you remember last week, there was kind of a, a, a disagreement between him and Barnabas, and it left them on separate ways. And so Barnabas continues the mission for him, and now we're tracking with Paul, and we know that Luke goes with Paul because he's recording that, and he begins to use the language of we as we move through this passage, and so Luke is with him on this journey. So it's Paul at this point, and Luke and Silas that are, that are there traveling, and, and we find him here in the very beginnings in Lystra and Iconium which is exactly where we found him in the very first missionary journey with Barnabas. If you remember in Lystra and Iconium, it's where they performed a miracle and the people raised him on their shoulders and they thought that they were gods. And then just just a little bit later, they stone him and they throw him out of a city and they're left to die. Now Paul's back there on the second missionary journey. He's proclaiming the gospel and strengthening the churches and he meets Timothy and he takes him on the journey. If you continue, verse six, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region. So they've left Iconium and Lystra and, and they're, they're traveling now. But if you keep reading, it says that they continue to go on this journey. They continue to try to go into cities. And it says the spirit of the Lord, or the spirit of Jesus, stops them a number of times. And verse, traveling to, to, through verse eight into verse nine, it says they've, they've landed in the city of Troas, which is on the, on the coast of the Aegean Sea. They've traveled all the way across Asia there. During the night, Paul has a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him to come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, he got up at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel to them. I don't know exactly what kept Paul and his, his companions from going in. Maybe it was a sickness, maybe just the sense that this is not the right move. You know what that feels like, where you know, hey, I'm, I, I don't need to go and do this, right? This is not the right move for me, job, it may just be a, a relationship, whatever, but it kept him from going. But it was 300 miles of traveling before he finally knows where he's supposed to go. 300 miles of no's before he finally gets a vision of what it's supposed to be. And Luke gives a very clear word, he uses a very important word, he says he concluded. So he wakes up that next morning and he doesn't just pack up the tents and says, fellas, let's get on this boat, we're gonna go across the Aegean Sea. They sit together, they pray and they say, this is what it seems like God's saying, and the word concluded in the original language means they put the pieces together. Maybe you've experienced that moment in your own life where you have a big decision you ask God to do, you ask God for, for clarity and you surround yourself with some people and, and, and you ask for, you put all the pieces together. They're asking that question, did you have a little spice, too, too spicy of a curry last night, Paul? Like let's, let's make sure we don't cross over the sea just for no reason. They conclude that God is calling them that that moment, that this was the place that they were supposed to go. That the gospel would go to the places that they couldn't walk into on the way to this spot, but God had a clear call for them to go across this Aegean Sea into Macedonia. In verse 12, it picks up. And they traveled there and they traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city in the district of Macedonia, and they stayed there for several days. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, they went outside the city gates. This is the rhythm that you see Paul and his, his, the people that he's with. They go and they find people. If it's not a synagogue, they try to find a place where people are gathering, and so this is the river. They expect to find the place of prayer. They sat down and they begin to speak to women who had gathered there. And verse 14, It says one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. Her name was Lydia. She was a dealer of purple cloth. She's actually the ones we ordered these masks from. That's not true. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she she and the members of her house were baptized, and she invited them into her house and she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, then come and stay at my house. And she persuaded them. It's incredible, they, they leave the, the shore of Troas and they, they go across the Aegean Sea and they land in Macedonia and they, they end up in Philippi. If you, if you know the, the New Testament or maybe you're just new to it, but if you flip just a couple of pages from where we are in Acts, there's a book called Philippians. And that letter that Paul's writing is to the people that he goes to and meets here. There's nobody there at this point, just a few people who maybe know about God, no believers, but this is where we see the seeds of the church of Philippi begin birth, being birthed. And he doesn't know where to go. There's no synagogue there because there's, it's not a Jewish community. So he goes and finds people of prayer, people who are seeking the truth out by the river. It's similar what happens in the next chapter we'll see next week as Pastor Chase closes us out. People who are seeking the truth. There's a group of ladies there and then he's talking, they're sharing the, they're sharing the truth of God's word, and, and I can imagine that they're kind of thinking, all right, it's just, that, just this small group of people, right? And these ladies are maybe not even paying attention. But in that crowd, there is one who's paying attention, and you can almost see her eyes begin to light up and her heart begin to burn as she's read the Old Testament. Says she's a believer in God, which means somehow along the way, she's read the Old Testament and she knows the law and the prophets. She's read Jeremiah and Isaiah and all of those, those prophets. And she begins to hear what those prophets had said is being fulfilled in this person, Jesus, that they're proclaiming. And her heart is on fire and she puts her faith in Jesus. Listen, what happens in this moment is something that we need to remember in that, that, that moment where we're like, God, am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? And they get to a place where maybe it didn't look like they thought it was gonna look. We never know how God goes before us when we follow him in a moment. They, we never know how God is preparing somebody for us to meet, to share the gospel with. For us to, in that one act of obedience, for others' lives to be transformed, we don't know how God has already gone before us. When we say yes to an obedience, we see how incredible... Her life was transformed, and her and her whole family. The next section of Scripture, they, they're continuing to go in, verse 16 through 18, they're continuing to teach, and at this one time they're going out, and there's this young lady who, it says that she's a slave girl that has a spirit by which she predicts the future, and she's earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. In verse 17, she followed, Saul, she followed Paul and the rest of them shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. We are telling you the way to be saved, which is not the lie, not a lie. But she kept this up for many days. And finally Paul became annoyed, and he turned around and he said to the Spirit in the same, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. In a moment the Spirit left. Listen, I just want to, there's too much here for us to cover, but I just want to make sure you understand this. Paul doesn't get annoyed and and pop off at this young lady. He doesn't, you lose, her t- lose his temper, like Dad's, you know, when, when we lose our temper at our kids because they're doing something frustrating, unless that hap- doesn't happen in your house, which in case, I'm sorry, or you've never experienced the pleasure of apologizing to your kids. <laughs> Paul's annoyed because one, this young lady is, it, it, and the word that he uses, annoyed, it means that he's distressed, he's, he's, he's hurt about, the, he's, he has a problem with what's going on, and it's not just her. His annoyance is the fact that there's a brokenness in her, what she's doing and the oppression that she's under. Notice he doesn't speak to her, he speaks to the spirit. Says, you're out. You can imagine as Paul's trying to proclaim the gospel, that this young lady sitting over here without any ability to control it is just yelling out over the top. I mean, just imagine. Maybe it's easy for you to imagine. Imagine your phone going off the whole time somebody's preaching with all the alerts of what's actually happening in the world right now. The enemy has a weird way of distracting us. In this place, he was distracting them with the truth. Paul worried about the fact that maybe they connect her with him, and so he says, no, spirit, you gotta go. Most, most theologians would, would estimate that this is the second convert to, to Christianity that happens in Philippi and that the seeds of the church for the Philippian church is a, a, a woman named Lydia who's a seller of fine linens who is very wealthy and done very well for herself, and a young slave girl who just moments before was possessed by a demon but now been freed of that and trusted Christ for salvation. We continue that moment of obedience and calling that spirit out that, that, Paul, that Paul has, puts him in the crosshairs of the owners of that young girl and they realize that they don't have any, any way to make money and so they seize Paul in verse 19 and they drag him into the marketplace to face the authorities and they say that they're proclaiming things that are not true for the Romans to hear, which is not true. What, what happened is that he lost his, his money bags and he's, he's mad about it. And so they arrest him, they beat him, they throw him in prison. I can envision that, this, that at this moment that this is not what these guys thought was gonna happen when they left Troas to sail across the Aegean Sea. That at that moment, they had not thought, well, you know what, we're gonna find just a few people there, just one lady is all we're gonna find. I mean, I thought, I thought it was gonna be a revival, right? You called me out with a vision. And then there's this young lady and now we're in prison. But Paul knows what scripture reminds us over and over again that God's not done even when we don't understand the circumstances. And our obedience to him in the moments we find ourselves in is not based on the circumstances that surround us. So Paul continues to be obedient, and at midnight it says in verse 25, Paul and Silas are there praying and singing hymns to God. Prisoners were listening, and there was an earthquake, and the prison doors open, and the chains fall off. The jailer wakes up and he's like, oh no, this is bad because he realizes that if these guys escape, that's his life. And so he's about to fall on the sword rather than suffer the punishment by the Romans. Paul calls out and says, we haven't left. He goes to them and he says, he asked them the question, what must I do to be saved? He was at the end of his life and he realized that there's something greater. He says, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in Jesus. And you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And so they did, and they told him about Jesus, and he believed in Jesus, and he took them to his house, and he washed their wounds, and he fed them. And it says at the end of this in verse 34, it says that the jailer brought them, and he filled them, fed them food, but he was filled with joy because of he had become a believer in God, he and his whole household. And in the morning, there's this exchange between the city officials and Paul, and they finally let him out of prison. And says that they go to Lydia's house and he meet, they meet there with the other believers, the brothers and sisters that have, had come to, in the time that they had been there and then they leave to go to the next place. We said at the beginning that our purpose is to know God, to glorify Him, to make Him known. And so for the ra- remainder of our time, just kind of give us an oversight of the passage, the remainder of our time together, what I want to do just work through this phrase just kind of a little bit, a little bit at a time and point back to passages or places in the scripture that we just read that it, it, it solidifies this point. First, the First, the, the reality for us that our purpose is to know God. Our purpose is to know God and that purpose, listen, our purpose was a part of creation. Our purpose is to know God and that purpose was a part of creation. And let that sink in for a second because what that means for us is that we're not, just, we're not on a search right now for the new purpose in our lives. We're not on a search today for a new mission for our lives. We're not, we're not looking for the next blog or Instagram post or article that's gonna promise five steps to finding your purpose in life. You don't have to wait till you're 65. The purpose that God has, has for your life was given to us by God at creation. And it was to be in a relationship with him, to know him, to know him. This is not, it's, it's not specifically spelled out in Acts, Ch- Acts, Acts chapter 16, excuse me. But the very fact that Paul is on a missionary journey sent by God, what he says in 2 Corinthians that he has the ministry of reconciliation. Sent by God to reconcile. What? Those who are broken and separated from God reconcile relationship. Because we were meant to know God. Foundationally, you and I, all of us, our purpose is to know Him. He called, He created us with that purpose of knowing Him. And that purpose was distorted when sin fractured it. You can see it in, in, the God, in, in Genesis, very, the first three chapters of the Bible, that sin broke that relationship. And we experienced that fracture. That's why this morning if you came here and you're not really sure why you're here, maybe it's because somebody that you love dragged you here or maybe you're tuned in online and, and, and you're not really sure you kind of happened on this, this spot and, or somebody told you about it and, and you don't really know why you decided to listen and why you're even still here. But you know you have that nagging sense in your heart that there's something more to this life that you, that you don't know yet. Maybe you've put your hope and, and you've, you've sought out a purpose and money or success the applause and the acclaim of others. Maybe you've, you've looked for hope and purpose and, and pleasure, finding the next thing that would bring satisfaction. When I mean, you realize one after another that money and success, acclaim, applause, all of them fall short and can't deliver on that promise to, to fill that, that hole, that spot in your heart that's longing for purpose. that longing that you have, that nagging sense that there's something more, was put there in the very beginning of creation because you were created for a relationship with Him. And it can only be satisfied for each of us when we recognize that by grace through faith that sin separates us from God and we repent of our sin. We put our faith and our hope and our trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Until that happens, we're all going to be searching for a purpose. But if that's you this morning, Christ opens his arms and says, I, I want to have a relationship with you. And, and the same, that Paul, same conversation that Paul had with, with Lydia and with the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household is true for you just like it was for him. And the joy that he experienced, you can experience as you understand the purpose was to know him. And some of us are in this, in this room this morning and you're like, T, I did that, I remember that moment where I put my faith in Christ, but there's still this reality, this longing in my heart. And, and for some of us, that's true, because we saw that moment as we trusted Christ for salvation as it, and it's only the beginning. We only continue to grow in that relationship. Learning and practicing the, the practices of the people of God, the habits or the reading God's word, and we grow in that relationship. That was only the start. As we grow, we understand more and more that purpose that God has for us. Daily, weekly, spending time in God's word. And Paul didn't stop growing in his relationship with Christ on that day when he met him on the road to Damascus. He continued to know him more. And that knowledge of him more grew his love for him. And that love for him was evident in the way that he walked in obedience. Which brings us to our second purpose, that our, our purpose is to glorify God. And a lot of times when we think about glorifying God, what we think about is singing songs. Maybe that's my, my elementary understanding of it, right? But, but glorify God means that we sing songs to God, or about God, and we make much of God through the songs that we sing. But if songs that we sing are the only ways that we're glorifying God, then we're only seeing a fraction of what it really means to glorify God. It's only a fraction of what it means to really glorify God because glorifying God is about obeying God and trusting him. To glorify God means that we obey him and that we trust him. I remember so clearly in college one of my friends who asked me if you can imagine, I'm a pretty expressive individual, we get get jacked up pretty quick in a worship service, dancing, don't picture that too long, hands raised, sweat, I mean, just it's, I mean, I'm mean, i full on. And in just a moment of clarity, he says, hey Tia, I just wanna make sure that the way that you're singing with that passion and the, your hands raised is matched by a lifestyle that is obedient to the words, the words of God. They cut. And I think about it a lot. Because glorifying God is not just raising your hands and songs and, and singing songs and, and the gathering, it's about walking in obedience and trusting him. Paul grew in his relationship with God, and that, that, that growth in his relationship is something that we see for our own, so that, that we enter this relationship, but we continue to grow, and when we grow, we know him more. You've heard this phrase before. It's a lyric from a song that was recorded long ago, but the that phrase that "to know him is to love him." I would say that's true of Christ. To know him, to really know him is to love him. And Jesus would say in the Gospels, to love him is to obey him because obedience glorifies him. He says, if you obey, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. we'll never experience the fullness of our purpose in glorifying Christ if we're not living in obedience to Christ and his design for our life because obedience glorifies Christ. Maybe you think, T, doesn't, doesn't doesn't that take all the joy out of life, right? Jesus, listen to me, God is loving and good and faithful and gracious. He's not trying to keep you from joy by calling you to obedience. The most loving thing that God can do, this good and faithful and holy God, is to call you to obedience because in obedience, the life that he's called us to, we experience fully. When we live in obedience and glorify him, we experience life to the full that he called us to. But even in that, I'm not asking you to do that on your own. I'm not saying, hey, listen, do better this week than you did last week. Tighten up those bootstraps and get after it. And I want to run to God's word. In one of my favorite passages of scripture, Peter writes this. He says, his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Meaning he's given us the spirit of God, to strengthen us to walk in obedience to God and his word. That most of it is trusting, it's leaning in on him more than we lean in on ourselves. Trusting him more than we trust ourselves, saying, spirit, you to give me strength. I don't know how to walk in faithfulness right now. Because obedience glorifies God. And inevitably, when we follow God and we walk in obedience, It means that we'll come to a place where we have to praise God or we praise God in all circumstances. And that's certainly true of Paul as we read this passage, as we work through it. He he goes 300 miles, trusting in God more than he trusted in himself. Why not go to this city and that city? All I wanna do is preach the gospel. But he trusted in God more than he trusted in himself. 300 miles of no, no was met finally by clarity before he goes to Macedonia. He gets there and he finds this small group of ladies. Again, thinking, certainly you sent me over here for the great multitudes to follow. But he praised him in those circumstances and was faithful. When continuing to preach, being yelled at by a young lady, he's faithful. And then finding himself in a jail, bruised and bloodied Falsely accused, he continues to praise God. It doesn't seem like it's going great. This trip across the GNC into this area that, that we've never gone before doesn't seem like it's going well. Maybe you've been in that spot before where you followed God and you believed that it was faithful. Maybe it was in a restoration of a relationship. Maybe you, husbands, you've tried to restore a relationship with your wife and vice versa, and it, and it seems like it's not going well, but you remain faithful. Maybe with your kids, your life has been transformed and you want to see your kids walk with Christ and it's not going well, but you want to remain faithful. Because what happens here is you kind of pull back the curtain, doesn't seem like it's going great in that moment, but what happens is Paul crosses the Aegean Sea to go to the Philippian people, establish that church in Philippi. The Gospel, this is the first time the Gospel breaks into Europe, and what church historians and theologians would say is probably one of the, one of the top, most significant moments in church history. Because the gospel's carried into Europe and from there it would spread. And you and I, most of us in this room, are, are, are to thank for Paul being faithful and obedient to carry that gospel across the sea. Even though it didn't look like things were going well when he got there. Being faithful in those moments. Obviously the last part of this is, our purpose is to make him known. So often this is the only one we talk about, but. The, and, and certainly, this is a part of our purpose as is, is knowing him and his amazing grace, that overwhelming love that we, that we want to share that love with others. And Paul says, his love compels us. It's the, the love of God that they've experienced that compels them to go forward and carry the gospel. And, and that happens in lots of different ways. And most often, we think that this phrase means go on a mission trip and, and do evangelism. And certainly, it means that, but it also means that we invest in the next generation. To, to, to make him known is not just going to the ends of the earth, it may mean in your neighborhood or in your home, investing in your kids. It may mean serving here on a Sunday morning in, in, in family ministry. I don't know if you know this, but as a church, that we have a long heart to, from the very beginnings to raise up the next generation and training ministers for ministry. And Right now, we have a, a ministry called Leadership Pipeline and Lucia Pipeline is a, an internship and in residency program, and I get the pleasure of being a, being a part of that and leading it currently. And today we have 19 interns and in residents that serve at all three of our campuses. 19 college students and older who say, I, I want to serve the church. I, I feel like God's calling me into ministry, and I want to work on that, on that ministry, work on that skill set. And they're not just from right here. We've got some coming from Illinois in in August and Michigan and Texas. We've got them from all over. And we're able to look and say, we want you on the team, just like Paul did with Timothy when he ended up in Lystra and said, hey, I want him on the team. Not just to carry luggage, but to invest in him so that he would leave him later in another church to to be the, the pastor and leader of that movement there in Crete. We see the responsibility that we have, not only with those who are coming to be a part of the leadership pipeline, but with middle schoolers and high schoolers that we say, God's got something for you, we wanna invest in you. If you walk around today, you'll see some of our our leadership pipeline folks that are wearing their their shirts, and if you do see them, give them a high five from a distance, because they're doing an incredible job. Making God known not only is investing in the next generation, but it's strengthening believers. We do that by using our gifts and our talents and our abilities, by meeting together with other believers and sharing the truth of what God's doing in our heart. It's what we talk about with community group. When Paul landed in Lystra and Iconium, he goes there and, and then he continues with, with, with Silas and Paul, or Silas and Luke and Timothy, and they go to these churches and he says they strengthen the believers. They share the the news that came out of Jerusalem and the the believers are strengthened. And then what happens from the believers being strengthened is the church grows daily in number. A lot of times it's just us having coffee with a a brother that's struggling and saying, listen, let's walk in faithfulness and call into obedience. Certainly it is proclaiming the truth and loving the lost wherever we go. For Paul, in this passage, it began by seeking out the lost, going to the places where they might find people who needed to hear the gospel and sharing that gospel. And that first person was Lydia out by the river. And then next, it's standing with those who are broken, those who are experiencing injustice and and sorrow and suffering and standing with them and standing against the problems that they face. And for Paul, it was saying the, the spirit has to go out, even though that meant he would end up in prison. For Paul, in this passage, it was, it was being there for those who were desperate. A man who was at the end of his life, who was ready to run the sword through him because he didn't want to suffer what would happen to the, by the Romans. He's, he's standing there saying, I'm gonna, I want to be here for you in your desperate moment with the hope of Jesus. Because your life is worth way more. Your life has a purpose and it was to know him. I, I think about this pretty often. The, or as I was working through this, just what what it would look like for Paul and Silas there in that jail. What What that scene would have looked like and how different it would be than what they thought it was gonna be. But even there, bruised and bleeding, in chains and behind bars, they realized that God was not done. That God wasn't done that he had more, that their purpose wasn't done, to know him, to glorify him, even though they found themselves in a circumstance that they would not have anticipated, to make him known, wherever they are. I don't know what they prayed, I don't know what the words of the prayer that they prayed, I wish I would have known, I certainly would pray it all the time. I don't know what song they sang, I don't know what hymn they sang in that moment, I think that I would sing that hymn all the time. I mean, it caused earthquakes and chains to break. Especially in 2020, let's sing that hymn. I got a feeling it sounded something like, I know that you're not done. It sounded something like the song that we're about to sing and trust me, I'm not going to sing it for you. And I won't forget the things that you've done. I won't forget the things that you've done. I know that this is only the beginning. Until I see your promises come, God, I will keep believing that you're not finished. Listen, I don't know where you are this morning. I'm certain that as the fireworks finished on on January 1st, that you did not think that you would be here wearing a mask, socially distancing. And I'm certain that as Paul got up from that, that vision, he did not see himself in a, in a prison. But even in that prison, we cry out to him, we sing praises to him, we realize he is not finished. His purpose is for us to know him and this moment may be the perfect place. In fact, I'm certain that this moment in in 2020 is the perfect place for him to help us understand what it means to follow him, to know him deeper, to glorify him by being obedient to him, no matter what the cost and to make him known because I know that there are people just like that jailer, just like that, that young lady, just like Lydia, who are searching for purpose so let this song be the song that we sing or pray and let it sing over you, listen if you're at home and online and it's, it's coming to the close and maybe the kids are getting restless or you've got something to do don't walk out or don't let this just be the background noise don't let this just be the moment before we get to leave, lean in As I said at the beginning, I believe it right now. I don't know what's gonna happen in five, 10, 15 minutes. I don't know what happened on the way here, but I believe that God has something incredible for you in this moment. So let's not miss it.